the Mission Control Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been, what, five years? We actually talk about reminiscing. Our first case we had talked about before. Same with this one. Yes. We actually talked about this in episode 30. Yeah, we did a whole episode on the disappearance of Malaysia flight MAS370. We actually... Actually, that was a good episode. We listened back to that. Yeah, we we even had um our uh, our friend and an aeronautic engineer Matthew Tout on to shed some light on some other technical aspects of a Boeing triple seven jet airliner. Yeah, um, this case has never really went away uh, or or disappeared from the public consciousness. It's been touched on a lot. I think every year there has been new developments, um, new pieces of the plane being found, but it's been a good five years since the actual date of the disappearance, which was March 8th in 2014. Yeah. Um, part of the timeline. But yeah, and the, the investigation continued up until January 2017 till they finally officially called it off. Yeah, after having searched... What, 150... 120,000 square kilometers in the southern Indian Ocean. Yeah, they even found, what, like a ship, an old shipwreck from the <laughs> 19th century. 19th century shipwreck. Yeah. Stopped to find some treasure, but no plane. Um, I think we, f- we find this case especially juicy because of, once again, really strange bits of information, things being leaked out. Uh, different accounts from different people. Um, the narrative, I guess, from the major news outlets was kind of polarizing between two things. Either the, the pilot was involved or there was a genuine crash uh, or, and it's somewhere out there in the sea. I think those are the two kind of main angles that the, the mainstream has taken on. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, let's let's just jump straight into what <clears throat> the mainstream media is calling their final conclusion, like their solution. Yeah, is they've just written it off as the pilot was a terrorist. Yeah, or th- there was some sort of political motivation behind uh, the the disappearance. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're essentially just saying that the pilot went crazy, decided to kill two hundred and forty people on board the plane. Right. Uh, pretty much end of story. That's that's what the the media is telling us. That's the story we all have to accept, and we just have to move on and accept that there's no plane and 240 people are missing. Yeah. Uh, really strange, and uh, I think Malaysia, g- the general consensus uh, from what I've been researching is that they absolutely don't believe that Zahari Ahmad Shah, the pilot, was actually uh, the cause of the crash. Um, right down to testimonies from close friends and things like that. But um, I find it really, really strange, and it's a tactic that I always do, whatever the mainstream news is pushing out, especially publications like 60 Minutes doing documentaries uh, on MH370. uh, They're kind of really... The West in general are really pushing the idea that the pilot was involved uh, directly. Uh, especially U.S. analysts, you know, crash experts. Um, all of the people from the West really are taking the angle that uh, it was a terrorist attack or, or a 
a suicide mass murder sort of event. Pretty much, yeah. That's mm. that's what everyone's been saying. That's what that's been the front cover of some of the Australian papers as well that came out not long not long ago. And so, what what are some of the fishy things that that we can't get off our minds about this this case? In well, particular? it's I guess in in every event such as this, when they look at the person that was in charge or the person that could be responsible, um, they always, friends, families, people that knew the people always say that there was, that they weren't like that. There was no chance that they could be that. They were happy people, enjoyed their lives, enjoyed their jobs. And they almost in disbelief that something like that could happen. And you find that in almost all these odd events. In events like that, when things happen, they look at the person and you get all these people coming out that actually knew the people saying there's no way they could do it. Mm. Or, or maybe those people didn't know that the individual as well as they thought. Yeah, just saying all, like all that. Stuff, yeah, you know, yeah. Casting doubt. And, and I think you were mentioning before, it's so easy, especially in plane or aviation accidents, to blame the pilot because he's the one responsible for the controls of the plane. Uh, although... This is where things get hairy because now, uh, looking deeper at the case, uh, especially Boeing and the systems that they had in place, it it's not out of the realm of possibility that this plane could have been taken over remotely. And this is what we talked about, you know, even as far back as five years ago, that this plane, this triple seven, had systems aboard that could essentially be t- remotely hijacked or taken over. Yeah, so, so the, the Boeing 777 aircraft itself um, actually had these new uh, fly-by-wire um, systems right. installed on the plane. So that, that to me is really, really interesting. Um, and I think the, the first thing, even five years ago, we talked about let's look at the people aboard the plane. Let, let's kind of del- delve into who were... Any patterns at all uh, about the the people, the individuals on the plane? Yeah, and it's it's so frustrating because when this first happened, five what were you saying? Six years ago? Five, six years uh, ago? It would be five. No, sorry, six. Yeah, six it's years six ago. Six years ago. No. Essentially, yeah. the first month after it happened, people were already onto things, and we were already uncovering in the, that first mission control um, episode thirty. We had already picked up on these, uh, let's say, conspiracy theories that were coming out and talking about... I mean, it was on the, the whole thing about the two Iranians that had um, stolen passports or fake passports on board the plane, but then they were suddenly just dismissed saying, you know, that happens all the time in Kuala Lumpur. People buy passports. Right. Like, I, you know, I even went as far as to, to look up the social media trail of the two individuals, um, the two Iranians, mm. and... Same MO. It's just very, very created, very recently, very, mm. very empty. Like a very fabricated uh, social media account. Yeah, type maybe, thing, maybe yeah. four, maybe four pictures. One of which he was wearing the same T-shirt as the day of the flight. You know, things, things that are really kind of weird, uh, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, um, and then, but also on board the plane um, were a lot of computer specialists, so people who work with IBM computers. Um, a group of actually twenty people, 20 employees of that company, Freescale Semiconductor Technologies, right, were on board that plane. Um, that quickly sparked into the 
let's 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 just say conspiracy again, where four of those people were had their nine names signed to this patent for a new microprocessor chip using um architecture which allows for essentially remote controlling of um any devices you know mm. talking smartphones computers and stuff this is a technology that goes into that Re real valuable stuff i, I yeah. guess uh, in terms of uh national security even and uh perhaps a militarized you know uh it's definitely technology that can be militarized absolutely yeah definitely but yeah so four of these people that were signed on for this patent died in the crash and then supposedly the remaining owner of the patent was this freescale semiconductor technologies based in Austin, Texas, which is owned by the Black Blackstone. Blackstone, which yeah. is owned by the Rothschilds. And yeah. that became a big fucking thing. Everyone's going, yeah, that's that's a bit fishy. That got the whole conspiracy world just got hard that's where on. It got, that's where it got blown. People got, yeah, full, so, full blown conspiracy full blown hard conspiracy on. Conspiracy about that. <laughs> yeah. But then that quickly yeah. disappeared as well. Yeah. And um Real, yeah, real weird. That I think a month later, like not even maybe four days after, I think March 14 comes to mind where they were already accusing these two Iranians with stolen passports. And then it was quickly dismissed that, look, Kuala Lumpur is a hub for illegal passport activity. They were just caught up in the mix and they were two refugees. That was the, the, the spin on that story. Um, mm. And then they that quickly w was kind of swept under the carpet. Yeah, so. I mean, how like <clears throat> this is an article from March 2014, 16th of March 2014, uh, with a former security officer in Israel saying that he believes that these two people could have been involved in the potential hijacking of the plane. But he doesn't. He reckons they couldn't have worked by themselves. Like they couldn't have worked alone. Right. Mm. Um, and yeah, you're saying you know this stuff wouldn't have happened in Israel because Israel's been through so many hijackings that when it comes to airport security, they'll check every freaking mm. hair in your head. Yep. Um, and and he you know he, again he's saying you know a captain who is 53 years old has worked for Malaysia Airlines for 30 years and suddenly become a terrorist. Yeah. You know that. It, it, they're just saying that it doesn't seem Australian. They're saying, you know, if you commit a suicide, where's the debris? Yeah. So I, I think a very valuable thing to keep in mind with this is that to this day, the full contents of the plane or the, the remaining parts of the plane have not been found or any any deceased. But there has been fragments found around the world almost. Well... Of of uh, parts of the you know the the fairings and the panels and as well as parts of the wing. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of it is they say is coming up around East Africa, and they're saying how the ocean currents are just pushing stuff east. Um, so they they reckon they found a flapper on, a flap track fairing segment, horizontal stabilizer, engine cowling, all that stuff. So just these little bits and pieces have popped up. Mm. The only identifying way, so they're saying that one of these actually had the serial number etched on the plane, which matched that of MH370. Right. Uh, again, you know, they're saying that the markings, the the, the logos and stuff are all um, match what MH370 had. 
Was there some weirdness about the Rolls Royce symbol? In yeah, particular? I mean, I just I just picked up on this this uh, paragraph, just saying you know the stencils on the RR logo match stencils used by Malaysian airlines and are thicker than those painted by Boeing. And that that just instantly made me think, like, if you know Boeing used Rolls Royce engines, so these planes get. I mean, I I doubt that the plane gets delivered to Malaysian airlines completely white. And expect Malaysia Airlines to spray paint every bits and pieces. They, I, I feel like they would have shipped the Malaysian Airlines plane with the Rolls Royce stickers already on the engine. It's kind of like their label, you know, you you buy something and it comes with your freaking label on it. Mm-hmm. So why would Malaysia Airlines go and repaint Rolls Royce logo on the plane and use thicker serifs? It kind of, I feel like a. It does seem like a stretch, but a lot of people are questioning the authenticity of these plane parts, including the mainstream news. It looks uh, like... Well, what's, what's, what, really, what really bugs me is this idea that all these bits of the plane have been hidden away. Now, these apparently they've been hidden in the storage in Malaysia, and only recently, I think it was this year or last year, they... They put them on display as part of, part of a memorial. Yeah. But have these bits of the plane actually been taken somewhere to properly to be verified? Um, or did they just find them, look, see, oh, there's a number on it. Yeah, that matches. Okay, this is it. Yeah. But then where's like, you know, you think there'd be a huge media thing about it saying we found it, blah, blah, blah. I remember I saw bits and pieces on the newspaper, but it was like no one cared because there was nothing substantial that we could that people could say you know this is concrete evidence people got really apathetic really quickly about this case so like i could go on a total limb and say you could find bits of another plane throw some quickly airbrush some stickers on it throw it in the water wait for it to wash up and then say it's the plane yeah unless you find case closed case closed yeah Yeah. i'm not ruling out planted evidence i find that a little bit weird. I mean, well, shall, shall we go into a, a, a section on a potential, like why or how it would work with the planted evidence? Yeah. Like, so, and for me, you know, I'm the same thing. You know, we're talking a Boeing 777 airliner, 200 foot long, 200 foot wingspan. It is a big fucking plane. Yeah. It's it's pretty hard to lose. And I think I said that fucking six years ago. It's hard to lose. Well, <laughs> yeah. And I think I said um, six years ago, oh, yeah, they'll probably find it in a couple of months. A plane that big to just vanish. Yeah. Okay. And so let's just say that this this debris has been planted. Where does it come from? You're thinking to yourself, well, a, a Boeing triple seven just doesn't lie around. You don't just go to a scrapyard and pick up some spare parts and bits and pieces. Well, actually, you can. Yeah. Actually, you do. There's a number of um, Boeing triple sevens that have either been dis- discommissioned. Uh, stored, decommissioned, decommissioned yeah. stored, and actually used for they, they go along disassembly. You know, and what they do with the spare parts, they probably melt them down bits and pieces. But it would not be so far fetched as to some, let's say, secret organization going in saying, "Look, we just need a few pe- few pieces of a of a triple seven. Mm-hmm. Here's a lot of money. Don't ask questions. Scrapyard stuff. Scrapyard yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and this was actually so the whole there's a lot of things going on about a another plane was actually spotted in Israel in Tel Aviv. Yeah. Who actually have an 
exact identical um, Boeing triple seven two hundred yeah in their in their yards, and that that becomes you know very coincidental in terms of supposed Iranian involvement with these two people that had fake passports. Yeah, which Israel uh, immediately pinned on the two Iranians. Yeah, so Almost pe- people from a, yeah. Is Israel, Israel security people, you know, coming yeah. out and saying, you know, that they reckon that that was yeah. the Israelis are part. Well, those people were part of it. Yeah, whether Israel is part of it, I don't know. But saying that those two people, two Iranians, two yeah. Iranians could have been involved in it, mm. and then just having this. So basically, it's it's not outside of the realm of possibility to find plane parts. No, there, there are duplicates no. of this. You know, there, there's. A couple of theories about more than one triple seven being used in this exercise. Yeah, uh, perhaps. Um, and to actually confirm that this is uh, from a Boeing triple seven, mm-hmm. I have not seen any. I was actually just on the side note. I was really pissed off at the the sixty minutes review on the MH three seventy the the part that was found. Just the room they were keeping it in. Yeah, just like a shed out the back. It, not even. It was just like a really crappy like bathroom. Yeah. They just had grey tiles and uh, this is like top secret, you know, pretty much evidence of potentially MH370. And it's been kept in this really awful room. So you're saying that they could have just let that float in the ocean? Yeah, I'm saying it's not beyond yeah. the realm of possibility that they've taken some a few parts of another Boeing 777, marked it up, thrown it in the ocean, waiting for someone to pick it up mm. and go, bam, there's your plane. Just quickly, do we re- do we want to touch on the cargo a little bit more? So allegedly from reports, uh, 90 kilos or was it 200 pounds? Just over 200 pounds um, of around. cargo was last minute added to the cargo of MH370. Yes. Um, and a I, lot of people are linking this cargo to what this whole thing is about. So the probably a prototype of something. I know that we were talking about that a little bit. Yeah, so the missing cargo, it showed up when the, the flight manifest was released. It showed that this bit of cargo had just been added to the plane at last minute. And it was only labelled as radio equipment. Yeah. Um, and they... They were saying as part of the manifest that the plane was carrying like a bunch of lithium ion batteries and bits and pieces like that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. so people were saying, well, you're essentially you're flying a big bomb, yeah, a big yeah, a big can of fuel with batteries underneath of it. But this uh, mysterious load, eighty nine kilos, was added to the cargo flight list after takeoff, and no one knows exactly what it was. No one knows where it came from, and that's just a little bit suspicious. Yeah, I, I feel like it's. Uh... Too coincidental that the plane that went missing is also carrying this unknown cargo that was added last minute. It's that's what's hard about it because no one knows where it came from, what it was, and what what impact that could have had on the plane. I mean, eighty nine kilos. I don't think it would have played any difference to the weight of the plane. Mm. So there's none of that sort of problem. But but they they were kind of uh, spinning it in a way that was saying that the the planes are already overloaded. Well, that's like... And they're trying to blame, you know, incompetence on Malaysia Airlines part, which I don't doubt, but... Overloaded might be a stretch. Yeah. 
because, you know, we're talking 90 kilos. It's mm. like just putting a fat person on. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's not that. No. <laughs> um, 90 kilos isn't going to make a huge difference to the to the overall yeah. weight of the bone triple seven. Um, you'd have to be talking a lot mm-hmm. of difference. Um, I feel like diverting because let's talk a little bit about the, the flight path real quick and why people are theorizing that it landed at a certain US military base. Because I think I remember even in our first episode, episode 30, Diego Garcia was a real hot talking point at that time, which is the US military base off the uh, Maldives. I think there are, there are a lot of discrepancies as to what angle the plane actually took, but we do know that it didn't head for Beijing at all. So it made a westerly turn. Now, the saying that it, it took off from Kuala Lumpur, heading north towards Beijing, and just essentially as it got over the, the coast here, it suddenly spun around and started flying southwest out this way. It's essentially straight out into the Indian Ocean. That's what all the flight radar information is saying. That's what everyone's going off is this idea that it turned around and just started flying out into here somewhere. What made Diego Garcia really strike early in the investigation, I suppose, was people out here in the Maldives reporting seeing a plane flying really low overhead, um, which was quickly dismissed as they're saying it was a, a Dash 8 uh, right. propeller aircraft that was scheduled for arrival, yet they're saying that there was no record of that flight on the... Um, There's no Dash 8 on the flight logs. The flight logs, but yeah. I... I tend to not be quite sure about that because they're saying um, the person came out and said, oh, Dash at flight QVA-149 and they're showing the flight things and there's no QVA-149, but there is like a QS-149. And, you know, we had these mistakes of MH and MAS. Yeah. Uh, it was even labeled Southern China 748. It was the same airline code for MH370, MAS-370. So... Q, still, that that one four nine is is listed there at a different like half an hour after they allegedly said it was. Mm. So there is a possibility that they did see another plane, um, but it it just seemed all too coincidental that they're seeing people over the Maldives are seeing this low flying plane. If you've just stolen a plane in midair over here in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And you're flying to Diego Garcia, you're going to fly a direct path. Right? A direct path will not take you over the Maldives. Yeah. You're not going to get close enough to see that plane from the Maldives if you're flying a direct line from here up here in Malaysia down to Diego Garcia. You'd have to literally take a wide turn around unless you're actually landing in the Maldives. Yeah, that, that came out really early in the game, I think, uh, Diego Garcia, but why they would land there is pure speculation. Uh, A lot of people think that was the site where they potentially killed the 240 passengers and took the cargo, whatever was sensitive enough to, that was worth killing for. Um, But these are really murky speculations that 
although they're juicy, it's kind of hard to to really verify. Some some of the interesting stuff that did has come out um, in terms of let's say activity around these areas. Right. <laughs> when, that's a, that's a, this is a very good point because uh, are you talking about the the so, radar? Yeah. So cutting out some interesting bits and pieces was with what they call these uh, hydroacoustic stations. HA01, which is off Cape Lewin in Western Australia, uh, has an array of microphones as well as HA08 in Diego Garcia. But what is strange is uh, the HA08 signals from Diego Garcia were distorted um, which is believed to be caused by a military exercise on that side of the ocean. Um, and they believe, yeah, uh, as well as 25 minutes of data is missing. As well as, at the same time, Diego Garcia had shut down um, incoming and outgoing flights for 72 hours. Yeah. Um, there's some reports saying that they had requested some delivery. Don't know where that comes from. Can't call that credible, but... It, you, again, I find it strange that there's these supposed military activity, all the activities happening, yeah, right the, when that shit goes on. A real coincidental timing that in that whole area of the alleged flight path of 370, there's all this activity happening. You've got military drills, you've got data missing for that select period of time, you've got Diego Garcia themselves shutting down for three whole days. Yeah, during that that same time. Yeah, and you've got alleged, you know, metadata from phones of of people allegedly held captive at Diego Garcia. Yeah, okay. Let's let's. Oh, I mean, I mean, well, that's that's getting that, that's that's that, black belt. Is that, that black belt? That's, that's soon. That's soon. But right, that's black belt. Too. What's What's interesting about these um these hydroacoustic stations and the recordings that they found? Mm. They essentially came up with these two possible routes for it: one heading straight south past Western Australia, the other flying almost directly to Diego Garcia. But they also have picked up here military action recorded, as if there were other military flights. Or things happening mm-hmm. around Diego Garcia at that time. Now, yep. you know, there could be a lot of stuff happening around Diego Garcia. Absolutely. And j- just to t- I, know we- I know we're not going to talk about it now, but just to touch on it, one of the wives of the, uh, the, the passengers on that plane uh, states that she believes that MH370 was almost escorted by other military planes at the time. Which would account for the military activity over the site of the disappearance? I just find that really weird. Uh, well, not verified, but conspiracy theorists love not verified. But it's, it's I love shit that's not verified. It's an interesting. <laughs> I'm trying to find that that article. Um, yeah, where so apparently there was a guy on board the plane who worked for IBM, mm-hmm. who had reportedly hid his phone down his pants or some shit like that and was able to send a photo with a voice message. It was just a blank photo with a voice message that essentially said that um, he was being held in a cell. Uh, Passengers had been, he thinks he'd been drugged. Mm -hmm. The plane was hijacked. 
That individual, by the way, is Philip Wood. Philip Wood, yeah. and From uh, IBM. He's an engineer. And the thing is, so with the photo, like that's the thing. I don't know if I come in if I found the photo or where it comes from, but the, the EXIF data mm-hmm. that is associated with the actual photo that shows the... um. You know, the phone it was using was an iPhone 7. iPhone 5. iPhone 5, actually. Yeah. Um, the, the the shutter speeds, the ISOs, everything associated with the photo, as well as supposed coordinates, geolocation or something on the, the photo. The geotag on the, the geotag on the photo, on the photo yeah. which yeah. puts it in the middle of Diego Garcia. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy, yeah. Um, the photo that he took was just a black photo. A lot of people think... Um, it, he wasn't trying to take a photo. It it was just a dark room. Um, it wasn't about, about the photo. It was about the audio clip yeah, that he was trying to send. And I would love to hear that audio clip. I don't know where the audio clip comes from. Yeah. Um, but we do know what he said. And I'm just going to read it out real quick. Uh, this is the text message sent to his wife. Uh, and this is Philip Wood. I have been held hostage by an unknown military personnel after my flight was hijacked. I work for IBM. I have managed to hide my cell phone in my ass during the hijack. I have been separated from the rest of the passengers and I am in a cell. My name is Philip Wood. I think I have been drugged as well and I can't think clearly. So this was a text message. And uh, like you said, the metadata leads back to Diego Garcia. the reason I'm a bit dubious about that info is that publications like The Sun, the tabloid newspaper, are posting this. Mm. Um, whether uh, you, you can't just ignore info like that, but I yeah, pull, I call into question the the, the validity of it. But crazy, yeah, yeah. If, if that's real, I mean, that, exactly that, that opens a whole. This is a military a, a planned exercise with people being held hostage over this. Yeah, probably this alleged cargo, or and it's. But again, you know, we say we we can't really verify that because we don't have that photo. We don't know where it is, and you're saying that the certain tabloids. Mm. At the same time, I look at it and go, well, that's not the sort of thing mainstream media are going to publish. People yeah. have to find their own means, and that's why a lot of these um, sort of under the radar articles come out, um, where people are releasing. This sort of really strange, vague information yeah. about these claims that they say and but they're very specific things. Yeah, they're very specific claims, and when you read through them, you know every bone in your body is screaming like this is not verified. But when you read about things like people with access to the Kremlin, you know, yeah, we, <laughs> people actually uh, hearing down the grapevine that this this is a military exercise. This is a huge thing. Yeah, when people start referencing Russia, mm. and so I'll, I'll bring up something a bit later that um, supposedly through Russian intelligence um, networks, it was believed that the Russians actually had surveillance on this aircraft as well. Before the event. Before the event. Like, they had their eyes the already Americans on the Americans and the Russians had surveillance on this plane as if that plane was a target 